Taking their next step in the search to succeed, Pete Carroll, the Seahawks reportedly have five coaches lined up for second interviews. Which coaches would be the best fit to succeed Carroll on the sidelines? Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking it all down in our Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined here on our latest Monday installment by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in nearby Sumner, Washington, or Duluth, Minnesota. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We are getting deeper into the Seahawks search we've got guys that have emerged with second interviews we're going to be diving into those candidates and which ones we think are the best fit to replace Pete Carroll plus we've got our Monday mailbag and end of season awards we've already talked offense before the Pete Carroll news broke a few weeks ago we're going to finally get back to defense who are the award winners on that side of the football? It's a jam-packed Monday episode brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash LockedInNFL. That's LinkedIn.com slash LockedInNFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Now for your lead story here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. After reportedly having interviews with nine different candidates, the Seahawks have now transitioned into their second series of interviews. Five candidates, various reports being linked to the Seahawks. We've got some divisional flair with Raheem Morris, the Rams defensive coordinator. Then you've got Mike Kafka, the Giants offensive coordinator, reportedly getting a second interview. Among others, Dan Quinn, who's been the front runner since Pete Carroll was moved into an advisory role former Seahawks assistant and Cowboys defensive coordinator, Patrick Graham from the Raiders, and Idro Ivaro from the Carolina Panthers, another defensive coordinator. Almost all of these coaches being of defensive background, Rob. What are your initial thoughts on these five coaches that we now know are expected to interview a second time, which means that they are deeper in the mix here to replace Pete Carroll? Well, as you said, Corbin, four of the five uh, of these coordinators are on the defensive side of the ball. So that certainly suggests that uh, that John Schneider is going to be focusing in on a defensive-minded head coach, just like the one that the Seahawks are replacing, of course, in Pete Carroll. So that would be an initial thought here. It also would just kind of acknowledge the, the elephant in the room, that none of these coaches are named Jim Harbaugh or Mike Vrabel, or some of the other high-profile former head coaches that so many of the talking heads out there have focused in on as the creme de la creme, so to speak, uh, of the coaching candidates available to the Seahawks. Now, Raheem Morris has some head coaching experience, but he is the minority of the group. I mean, the rest of these gentlemen here, um, I think while very worthy candidates, are not guys who have a great deal of experience is actually being the head of their particular programs, whether it be in the NFL or at the college stage. So to me, that is one of the most interesting things about this. And it's also important to note that here we are 
on January 22nd. Today is the day when it becomes legal in NFL terms to have these face-to-face conversations. That's why the Seahawks are kind of kicking off this second round of their interviews because previous to today, it had all been about Zoom calls for those coaches that are still uh, coaching. Uh, you know, here we are getting into the conference championship weekend, and so there is going to be a number of teams out there that still have coaches that the Seahawks might be considering that are still very much trying to get themselves to the Super Bowl. And this is the opportunity now, starting today, and where you're, I think you are going to start to see some NFL teams because the Seahawks, of course, are not the only club out there that are looking to hire these head coaches. Today is the day where you can actually start requesting to have face-to-face interviews, not just Zoom calls, but face-to-face interviews. And so I do think that you are going to start to see some action uh, start to come down the pike here when it comes to people and teams hiring their head coaches as well as their offensive defensive coordinators. As far as the pulse of the 12s out there, I posted a question this morning once news had broke about the five reported interview candidates asking who fans would prefer for that job. And generally, Rob, it seems like most fans, and this is not a surprise, they're not they're not happy with this list. There are some big names like Jim Harbaugh and Mike McDonald that are not on this list that haven't even gotten a initial interview. And there are a lot of fans that want that bigger fish or that rising young talent. Ben Johnson had an interview, but he wasn't listed as a second interview. His lions are still alive though. They're playing in the NFC championship game. So that is something worth noting. The Seahawks may very well want to talk to him a second time, but he's kind of got his hands full right now, getting ready to face the San Francisco 49ers on the road in the NFC championship game. So This is not the end-all, be-all. I think that you could see some other coaches get second interviews. I think there are still some guys that could get first interviews that haven't talked to the Seahawks yet. And as you said, now they can do it in person, which you couldn't do the last couple of weeks. Everything had to be done virtually. So looking at these five coaches, there are a few of them that we have talked about more glowingly than others up to this point. And one of those on my side of the coin is Patrick Graham. And when I'm ranking these coaches right now, these candidates, he actually tops my list. I know that may surprise some people, but I just look at what he has done with the New York Giants a few years ago. He had a top 10 scoring defense that had some big holes on that team. This year, the Raiders, the last nine games, they had six of them. They gave up fewer than 20 points. Players love playing for this guy. I have talked to a few guys in the Seahawks locker room that have played for Patrick Graham in the past that played for him in New York, that absolutely loved him. So if you're trying to uh, check off the culture box and you want a guy that's got some creativity on defense, this guy does both those things. I actually am a big fan of Patrick Graham. And I think Raheem Morris, for a lot of the same reasons, as far as building a culture, being popular with players, having a very strong football acumen, he's been a head coach before, unlike Patrick Graham. I think those would probably be my top two candidates. And then I'd have Dan Quinn right behind him because of the familiarity. I do have some questions about the fact the Cowboys gave up over 26 points a game this year against teams with winning records. There are some things that scare me a little bit about bringing him in as a head coach for a second time. But he does have the background with Seattle, another guy that's very popular that can build a culture. Mike Kafka is the offensive guy of this group. He was the quarterback coach for Patrick Mahomes. Let's not take anything away from him. He was involved in Mahomes' development. And I think what he did with Daniel Jones two years ago when the Giants made the playoffs, they were 16th in offense. Considering how things fell apart this year, that is maybe the most impressive feat of any of these coaches. 
And yet it seems like kind of an underwhelming hire, in my opinion. And then behind him, Evro, Carolina's defense had issues, but I have some concerns about his readiness for a head coaching job too. And the fact that they weren't able to get any sacks to speak of with that defense that had Brian Burns and some other really good pass rushers on it. There's just some things that stand out as red flags to me. So that's why I've got him last on my list of these five candidates. Yeah, and I, I think that you have a, a solid list, in, in my opinion, the way that you rank those uh, rank those potential coaches for the Seahawks. So I'm just going to kind of briefly give you, you my favorite options, and those of you on YouTube can see it for yourself, but I'll rattle it off for those of you who are not watching on YouTube. And again, as Corbin often says, thank you so much, all of our viewers, all of our listeners. We certainly appreciate the support. Real quickly, my top five, at least the way I would rank these five, uh, men who have been uh, verified to be having a, a second interview with the Seahawks in order. They would be Raheem Morris, a significant gap, then Dan Quinn, then Patrick Graham, then Idro Evero, and then Mike Kafka. Um, you know, to me, again, this is all about Raheem Morris. I am all in on Raheem Morris. I, as I mentioned in a couple of different moments uh, over the course of, of our podcast, Corbin, I am very proud to be a scout for the BC Lions. And I have an opportunity to go on the road and to go to different NFL training camps. And what I saw from Raheem Morris, the defensive coordinator of the LA Rams, look, you, you walk into the LA Rams training camp and, you know, um, you just see some of the, the biggest names in, in all of the NFL, whether it be the head coach, whether it be the wide receiver, whether it be the quarterback, whether it be the defensive tackle, of course. And Raheem Morris was the guy that people were kind of congregating around. And so that was intriguing to me. I love the fact that he has experience not only with Sean McVay. Obviously, he is coaching with Sean McVay right now. He also has experience with Kyle Shanahan as well. We talked about the fact that he has been a former head coach. He is one of the very few guys on this list that has defensive coaching background. He's, the again, the current defensive coordinator of the Rams, as well as offensive uh, coaching experience as well. I love the fact, and this is something that you and I talked about, uh, you know, over the last several weeks, Corbin. One of the things that we were disappointed about with the Seahawks is that sometimes there was a lack of adjustments made at halftime. I think back to the Seahawks' two games against the LA Rams. And in both games, they were either ahead or very much in the in position to win those football games against the Rams. And then the halftime adjustments by the Rams just felt like they were superior than on the Seahawks side. And I would argue that Raheem Morris was a huge part of that. So from my perspective, he was the best combination of knowing the NFC West division, having the experience on offense and defensive side, having the head coaching experience, and then again, being somebody who can actually make adjustments as well. Look, I, I'm a big Dan Quinn fan. I'm a big Patrick Graham fan. I like Idrew Evero. I, I like Mike Kafka as well, although he would be at the end of this list to me frank smith uh, as i talked about before from the miami dolphins to me if you're gonna go on the offensive side of the ball then that would be my choice uh, of the of, of the the coordinators that we've discussed so far but in my opinion unless you're gonna bring Pete carroll back then i really think that the that the favorite really should be raheem morris at this point when we come back, we are going to tackle your questions on our Monday mailbag. Don't go away. You're listening to the latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. 
This episode is brought your way by LinkedIn Jobs. When you're hiring for your small business, you got to make sure that you have as many top-tier candidates as possible to interview. That's why you need to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team, and they make it faster and for free. When I was a site manager, LinkedIn Jobs was my go-to to post writing positions, and I was able to land some of the top candidates with an easy process that was seamless. LinkedIn isn't just another board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals and hiring is so easy that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn knows the small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. Thankfully, with LinkedIn, this process is intuitive. It's quick. It's easy. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash LockedInNFL. That's LinkedIn.com slash LockedInNFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there. Thank you for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. As we do each and every Monday, it is time for our weekly mailbag. And we got some fun questions that we're going to tackle off of X as well as threads. Our first one here, and this one is coming from Dances with Iron on X. Is John Schneider really just going to not even take a flyer on a guy that has been destroying NFC West competition in Mike McDonald in Baltimore? Made sure to have an exclamation point with the question mark there. Rob, there are a lot of fans that are really frustrated by the fact that this one guy Mike McDonald, who obviously has done an incredible job this year in Baltimore as defensive coordinator. There are a lot of fans that are really frustrated, and quite frankly, I get it. No, I get that frustration as well. Um, you know, Mike McDonald does an incredible job. I think it's a, a credit to his head coach, the Baltimore Ravens, John Harbaugh, as well as the man in which that uh, McDonald had coached previously with Jim Harbaugh, that, that, that maybe that's why that John Schneider un- recognizes exactly who Mike McDonald is. And you'll have to have this silly little Zoom meeting. If you want to hire Mike McDonald, you're not going to interrupt his preparation for possibly winning a Super Bowl by having a damn Zoom call. I think if the Seahawks want Mike McDonald to be their head coach, then they then John Schneider, I have full confidence that John Schneider is going to do whatever he has to do to interview Mike McDonald. I think it would be a mistake, frankly, if the Seahawks don't at least knock on that door. But again, I, I don't think that Mike McDonald is going to be accepting a head coaching job until the Baltimore Ravens either win the Super Bowl, which I think they're going to, or get themselves eliminated of Super Bowl uh, possibilities. And that's when you would have that conversation. To me, this is more about respect for Mike McDonald and what the the Baltimore Ravens are doing than it is a lack of respect for his possibility of being the Seahawks coach in the future. Our next question coming from S Portal Fantasy. Could you see the Seahawks taking an OT at number 16 overall, or in other terms, an offensive tackle, and sliding Abraham Lucas to right guard? would take a load off his bad knees as a guard does not need the athleticism and change of direction like tackle. So I'm going to go against the last part of that question because in today's NFL, you better be able to move to play guard. There are some exceptions where you get these big bruisers that can still get the job done, but you still got to be able to change direction. And you can make an argument that it's even harder on your knees when you're dealing with 340 pound defensive tackles that you're blocking in the interior 
Lucas has never played guard. We kicked this idea around a little bit before last year's draft because there were a couple tackles that were kind of intriguing in the first round if Seattle wanted to go that route. Uh, Peter Skorotsky was one player that some fans were going to bat for. Only the Seahawks did not go that route. They ended up picking Devin Witherspoon, which worked out very well for them on defense. But I don't see this being an option. But I will say this. Abraham Lucas had an operation. He posted pictures and a video on Instagram. We don't know what the future holds for him. Now, I think it's potentially a good thing that they decided to finally do surgery. Maybe they figured out what was going on with that troublesome knee, but this is still something to keep an eye on. If the Seahawks have some concerns about his long-term health, I don't know that they would go in the first round, but I could see him drafting a tackle fairly early, and this is a loaded tackle class, as we will be breaking down as we get deeper into the offseason. There's a lot of talent that could go in the first round, so that might be a position they consider depending on the outlook for Abraham Lucas's health. We'll just have to wait and see. Our next question from Ryan B. Katz. I'm confused why most of the second interviewees are coming off of seasons where their units underperformed as opposed to candidates who excelled in 2023 and haven't been targeted. Do you think this is Schneider trying to avoid a bidding war? I actually think this is a really good question because there's a lot of truth to it. A lot of these second candidates, at least if you look statistically, their teams didn't necessarily have the greatest seasons in terms of points allowed or points scored. And there's red flags seemingly with most of these guys. Yeah. I think they're also some of the player or some of the coaches and candidates that the Seahawks actually lack familiarity with Th those of you watching on YouTube, you might just saw a picture of Dave Canales, who of course has been exceptional for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in his first season as the offensive coordinator for the Bucs. And, and he was a, a quarterback coach, worked, really worked his way up through the ranks for the Seahawks. And that's that's one of the reasons why I don't think that John Schneider has, you know, knocked on Canales' door to this point. Again, it's only been roughly 24 hours since the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were knocked out of the playoffs. I think that John Schneider and the Seahawks are trying to give a little bit of, uh, you know, just credit to Dave Canales and Hey, focus in on trying to get yourself to the Super Bowl. We know who you are and what you can do. I, I think that that is more the mindset. I, I don't think that John Schneider has any qualms about getting into a bidding war. He has got one of the, the wealthiest owners in all of the NFL in his back pocket. Jody Allen has already said, hey, here's the key to the franchise. John Schneider, you are the man. So I, I don't think that it's concerns about that so much as I think that it is, you know, the Seahawks feel comfortable with who they already know. And uh, I think that they are trying to do exactly what he said. They're, they're going to try and cast a very wide net to learn from this entire process. I don't think that Dave Canales or some of the other, uh, you know, flashy coaches. We talked about Mike uh, McDonald a moment ago. Um, I, I think that those are the type of, of people that, um, that the Seahawks are very much focusing in on later should nobody else of the uh, the talented coordinators and former coaches out there rise to the occasion. Our next question from R. Walro on X with Pete Carroll now gone, how much do you think it impacts Seattle's efficiency within the two-minute drill? I know Gino said Pete was unique in practices with how much they practice those situations. Do you think the new head coach does the same? So this is just my mindset in today's NFL. I think especially if you hire a defensive coach, there is going to still be a heavy emphasis on 
two-minute drills, red zone offense, third down offense, because I think those are as critical as ever in today's NFL when you're trying to keep the ball away from other teams who are looking to light the skies up through the air. A lot of these teams throwing the football. You want to have possession of the football as much as you can, and, and being able to sustain drives and being able to finish drives in high-scoring games is crucial, getting seven instead of three. So, you know, this is going to vary depending on the head coach that gets higher, but I would think that this is going to be a common practice at this point, that you are going to put an emphasis on two-minute drills and on red zone offense and third down offense. Those are areas that your team has to be good, regardless of who your head coach is, regardless of what his other philosophies are. Those are key principles in the game of football, especially in today's NFL. Our next question for Rob coming from Mike C from New Jersey. Would you be in favor of giving coaches a third challenge each game while making all penalties and non-called penalties challengeable? Not, not all penalties, not, not all non-penalties. I think that, um, you know, where I've really had a problem with the NFL over the last several years is just this kind of bailout call that is pass interference that can give a team 50, 60 yards. You know, frankly, I think that it's better in college football where it's a maximum of 15 yards. I think it's better in the CFL where it is reviewable. Um, to just to make sure that you're not giving a team half of the damn field based on, you know, somebody getting a little bit aggressive when the ball is in flight and, and both players, presumably a corner or a safety, a defensive back, is competing for the ball just like the intended receiver is. So I, I don't necessarily think that what the NFL needs is more commercial breaks and you're going to give the, uh, you know, these head coaches an opportunity to have a third um, reviewable play. But I definitely, think that the league should do something about just basically giving you a freebie um you know where offensive teams i think sometimes now just throw the football up and just kind of hope and um you know to me that is kind of taking away from the integrity of the game frankly and our last question capping off the mailbag aaron be free on threads how much weight do you think free agency carries regarding which coach Seattle may ultimately hire? Is that a big part of the decision-making process? So I'm not going to say it's a big part of the decision-making process, but there are a couple coaches on these five that we now have for second interviews that have ties to the New York Giants. And oh, by the way, Leonard Williams is arguably the biggest free agent, not just in pure size, but in terms of talent that the Seahawks have set to hit the market. So Patrick Graham, who coached him a couple of years in New York, and Williams had some monster years playing for him in his defense, maybe that's part of the appeal, being able to have a guy like that that has experience coaching one of your free agents. There's a few other guys that they have on the roster that have ties to coaches that are on this list as well. And maybe there's a free agent from another team that these guys coach that you have interest in bringing in too, and you think you can get a two-for-one package. So I'm not going to say that it doesn't have a bearing, but I think culture building and X's and O's are still the two biggest pinnacles in the head coaching search and just overall fit. And then you can look at free agency, which has some value with the coaching hire, but it isn't going to be one of your top priorities, I wouldn't think, if you're John Schneider in the front office. Up next, we're going to dish out our end-of-season awards on defense. We did offense earlier in the offseason, and then the Seahawks decided to make Pete Carroll an advisor, and that kind of threw some wrenches into our offseason planning. So we're going to get back to the end-of-season awards on defense, the defensive MVP most improved, and a number of other awards. That's coming up next year on our Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. 
This episode is brought your way by FanDuel. The NFL playoffs is now entering the championship round of the AFC and NFC, and there's never been a better time to team up with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel Championship Weekend, is the best time to get in the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options that can easily be found in the Parlay Hub, including spreads such as the Chiefs hitting the road to battle the Ravens in the championship round, player props such as Lamar Jackson's rushing and passing yard totals against the Chiefs, odds, over and unders, and much more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. It's your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. This may have been the longest gap in the end-of-season awards in the history of Locked on Seahawks. We did the offensive side of the ball like two days after the season ended, and then Pete Carroll gets moved to an advisor role. We've got head coaching candidates. We have had to put it on the back burner getting to our defensive awards. But without further ado, we're going to jump right back into it. And let's talk defensive most valuable player. And I think there are three or four players that you could maybe make an argument for on this one. And I know this was tough for you, Rob, but you ended up going with the longtime perennial all-pro that is Bobby Wagner. Well, he's the NFL leader in tackles this season, not only in all-purpose stops, but in uh, solo tackles as well. Broke the Seahawks record as he did previously. I mean, you know, Corbin, as you said, I mean, there's a number of players that we could highlight in this space. Frankly, I consider each other Nuosu. I thought the Seahawks were a whole different defense when number 10 was screaming off the edge and providing the, the physicality to be able to be a run enforcer off the edge as well. But when it came to consistency, when it came to production, when it came to leadership, as you mentioned, with Pete Carroll leaving and basically just acknowledging um, all of the the you know big plays and 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 personality and that he provided on and off the field. To me, I had to go back to Bobby Wagner. I think that he was spectacular for the Seahawks this season. I don't know that that necessarily guarantees that he's going to be back next year. But when it's all said and done, he was my MVP on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, you went with one of the elder statesmen, the oldest guy in the defense. I went with the newcomer, Devin Witherspoon. 14 pass breakups this year, three sacks, eight tackles for a loss, by the way, there had never been a rookie that had achieved all of those stats since 1999, and only seven players in the NFL in general racked up those numbers. And Devin Witherspoon did it this year while missing three games with injuries too. So he didn't play in every single game. Imagine if he would have played in all 17 games. I just felt the Seahawks were a different defense with his attitude, the energy that he plays with. It's kind of like what we said with Jamal Adams in the past, where we didn't see that as much from Jamal Adams this year, but the energy coming from Devin Witherspoon, this defense was much different as a result. Now, on the most improved side of things, on offense, we actually had a few names we threw out there. I hate it when there's an award where you can't consider a second candidate, but I mean, this might as well just be renamed the Boye Mafe Award in 2024 because there's nobody else that you can even discuss in this in terms of most improved. 
No, exactly. And I think that if you were, if you want to take a negative approach and just flip this, because 100%, I agree with you. Boy, Mafe has this award easily. Who, who might be the most disappointing? I mean, I could mention Rick Woolen. I could mention Daryl Taylor. Um, you know, th there's a bunch of players out. Jamal Adams, as we just talked about, or, or you referenced a, a moment ago. Um, you know, there were so many expectations for some of Seattle's stars to ascend. There was really only one who actually did so. To me, Boye Mafe, the, the season that he had, and I give you credit, Corbin, you called it from the jump. He deserves, you and he both deserve an awful lot of credit. I mean, that seven game, seven sack run that which he had was absolutely historic. And to me, basically sealed up this contest, if it was one, way back in like November. Yeah, and then you add in the four pass breakups where he was in the top 10 among edge defenders there. When he wasn't getting to the quarterback, he was getting his hands up, swatting passes down, almost 60 pressures. Even when the sacks weren't coming in the second half, he was getting some tackles for a loss. He still was getting a lot of pressures that just wasn't turning into sacks the way that it did in the first 10 or 11 games. But I still thought he had a fantastic season, almost got to double-digit sacks. And this is still a kid that's learning the game. He's still learning the technical aspect. His best season could still be ahead of him here coming up in 2025. But this is really exciting to see from a player with incredible athletic upside that is really starting to figure out how to play the game. And you're seeing the results with that. As for top rookie, again, another award. I think that, you know, it, it's funny to look back at this now because we only got to see Mike Morris for one game. He is a guy that I'm really intrigued to see get back on a field because I just have a feeling that he could have been an impact player as a rookie. But he wasn't going to have the impact that Devin Witherspoon did, the guy that I believe is going to win Defensive Rookie of the Year. I know Jalen Carter's gotten a lot of buzz out there, but again, just historic numbers that Devin Witherspoon put up at the quarterback spot playing both on the boundary and in the slot, moving him all over the place. It didn't matter where he was at. He just was a playmaker for the Seattle Seahawks. He really was. And I don't know that he is going to win defensive rookie of the year. I'd love for that to happen. Um, but at the same time, I, I definitely acknowledge that he was easily Seattle's best rookie. Um, obviously on the, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, you know, in a couple of moments, we're going to be talking about the top play of the season. And I think that there were, you know, I, I considered one or two for several different defenders. I considered like a dozen, for Devin Witherspoon. He was absolutely spectacular. Every, every bit of justifying Seattle selection, number five overall. Let's go to the trenches now. Top defensive linemen. We do this on both sides of the ball because the buffet bashers on offense and the big guys on defense, they don't get enough love. So we got to give an award on this side of the ball. And quite frankly, this was a difficult one for me because this was an unexpected strength. Jaron Reed had a fantastic comeback season, second most sacks he's ever had in a season in his career, double-digit quarterback hits. Leonard Williams comes in, and yes, the Seahawks struggled to win games after trading for him, but it wasn't because of him. He had four sacks and 11 quarterback hits in 10 games, a bunch of tackles for loss. He was a disruptive menace in the trenches and for that reason even though he only was with the team for 10 games he played 18 games which hadn't since the 90s there had not been a player that had done that since 1930s so he made history on that front he was durable he battled through uh, the attrition of an extra long nfl regular season and even with the defense struggling he was one of the few bright spots and so 
with honorable mention to Jaron Reed, who was also somebody I thought about for defensive MVP with his consistency. At the same time, I just thought Leonard Williams, that 10-game stretch, was as impressive as any player on this defense had for the Seattle Seahawks, despite the fact that a lot of the other players on defense did not bring it during that time. Yeah, and just quickly, I'll I'll just kind of flip the order for my opinion. I mean, I certainly acknowledge these are the two defensive linemen we have to mention. Um, you know, I, I think that that Jaron Reed, just because the fact that he was with the Seahawks the entire time, that he showed incredible toughness. Um, you know, just in in fighting back from injury to play all of those games, and the production speaks for itself. The leadership speaks for itself. Even before Leonard Williams was a member of the Seattle Seahawks, Jay Reed was still putting it down so to me he gets the slight edge over big cat but still i I think that this is a two-person conversation here as far as defensive lineman of the year for the seahawks as you foreshadowed here we're going to cap off our defensive awards real quick our top defensive play of the season and there were a lot of them that i considered but the end it really boiled down to two plays and you and i are probably thinking the same two plays For me, I got to go to that Eagles win, which to me was the biggest win they had all year. And it really, the the Eagles were already starting to stumble, but that really clipped the feathers on the Eagles going into the playoffs. That loss, Julian loved that toe drag swag along the sideline. He was going full speed, momentum carrying him out of bounds, and he managed to get both feet down for that second interception in the fourth quarter, the game clinching pick. Just the magnitude of that interception. It got the Seahawks back into the playoff conversation, even though they didn't ultimately make the postseason. Uh, They needed a huge play like that in a critical situation to send the defending NFC champions home with a loss. So that, to me, was the play of the year on defense. Yeah, it's it's hard to argue that, you know. But at the same time, I I just think of the – the it's not just about the quality it's the quantity of big plays that Devin Witherspoon made for the Seahawks this season that really kind of turned me in favor of him um you know my offensive play of the year was the the long touchdown that DK Metcalf had against the Dallas Cowboys which just demonstrate a different level of playmaking ability and I would argue the same thing here with Devin Witherspoon. 97-yard pick six against the New York Giants. They were already ahead in that game. They should beat the New York Giants, a team that just didn't have the talent that the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, obviously the reigning NFC champions had. So I, I certainly acknowledge the incredible play by Julian Love, especially considering all of the off-field stuff that he was dealing with at that point. But considering all of the, you know, the, the negativity that was out there when the Seahawks selected Devin Witherspoon rather than, a, say, a certain defensive lineman or certain quarterbacks at number five overall. And for him to have the splashy performance that he had all season long, again, the 97-yard pick six against Daniel Jones that basically had you know his coach and his teammates kind of looking at him like, what the heck are you doing? And it made John Schneider and Pete Carroll kind of look at, like, look at each other like, this is what we're doing to me is the perfect reason to give Devin Witherspoon the defensive play of the year for the Seahawks. As always, you can follow me on X and Threads at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have more on the Seahawks coaching search to replace Pete Carroll, and we're going to continue our end-of-season report cards are going to be going to the defensive side of the football. We're going to keep going to the trenches, defensive tackles. Make sure that you're listening in and enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.